I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberlain. And I'm your host, Mary Wilkerson. We are excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome, and thanks again for joining us. Oh, so good to be with you, Mike and Mary. Thanks so much. Archbishop, how's your last month been? How, how have things been going for you personally? Uh, grace-filled, Mike. Uh, so many blessings. Uh, outstanding was uh, my being at the Blessed Solanus Casey Center uh, for the 20th anniversary of the center and a rededication mm. of uh, some uh, new facilities that are part of it. Uh, the center is uh, really uh, a response to the, the growth of uh, devotion of people to Blessed Solanus since uh, his cause for beatification moved forward. And it's a way to welcome pilgrims. Uh, there's a beautiful museum. They actually have uh, rebuilt in the center uh, a mock-up of Father Solanus's cell. They've got his bed there, his habit. Mm. I mean, it's a way to uh, be in touch with him. And of course, the most important part of uh, uh, well, the most important part is the chapel itself with the Blessed Sacrament, but mm. uh, right outside of the chapel is Father's tomb where people often pray. And uh, uh, one of the friars told me, I forget how many hundreds of uh, petitions are placed on Father's tomb every, every week. It really is a beautiful place. Mm. I was just going to say, I know they've been doing construction for so long. Was that completed with this rededication? Because I personally haven't seen that open space yet. Not everything is done, but one of the largest open spaces is the cafe. And mm. uh, this is uh, where they sell some of the baked goods that are baked as part of the uh, food kitchen. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's such a gift to have um, the center down there. And I know probably most of our listeners know a little bit about Blessed Slanis Casey, but would you give us just a really kind of quick biography on who he is and why he's so special to Detroit? Well, Blessed Solanus grew up in a family farm uh, at the end of the, the 19th century up in Wisconsin. He did a lot of odd jobs. He even worked as a prison guard, uh, felt called to the priesthood because he hadn't had a, a, a really rigorous primary secondary education, found seminary difficult, uh, withdrew from the seminary in Milwaukee and was wondering what to do, and Our Lady uh, manifested herself to him and said, go to Detroit. And go, that was a call to come to the Capuchins here. And uh, he eventually was ordained, but because he wasn't uh, adept in theology, he was ordained as a, what's called a simplex priest, a priest who wasn't uh, licensed to hear confessions or preach publicly. So the ministry they gave him was doorkeeper, and he flourished there. He was a great instrument for people to get to know God. He, he did that in several friaries, but most of his life he did it on, on Mount Elliot. I know the um, beatification was such a big moment, I think, in the history of the church in Detroit. Uh, I was there. Mike, were you there as well? Yeah, yeah. Did you go? It was just so beautiful at Ford Field. Um, our families went. We made it a little pilgrimage when that happened. Can you let us know, Archbishop, where where um, is the process right now for the canonization of Blessed Well, when you talk to authorities about it, they're very discreet, as they uh, are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But there does seem to be... Uh, 
at least they tell me a couple of favors that uh, show the promise of being able to advance to confirm uh, Father's uh, saintly status and uh, lead to his canonization. Wow, what a gift to Detroit. I also, it's so important, I think, to let our listeners know one of the um, great ministries of the center is that they have the Sacrament of Reconciliation um, every single day. And so when you can't catch a reconciliation on a Saturday at your parish, I know it's such a gift, particularly during some, like the season of Advent or the season of Lent, to make sure to uh, be able to celebrate the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Our family goes there several times a year. It's always a great place of prayer, but also a great place of healing because of that. And that's part of uh, the renewed facilities is they've uh, uh, expanded the confessionals and they've also wow. added uh, places for pastoral counseling. Huh. So good. So because good. The, this ministry is really flourishing. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned that it's become a place really of pilgrimage. I know people, um, because we went to, Mike and I went to Franciscan University, we have friends kind of all over the United States and families do come. They come for pilgrimage to see Blessed Solanus Casey, which is a really beautiful thing, I think. Well, the woman whose miracle uh, confirmed Father's movement toward beatification was there on a pilgrimage. She wow. was there from Latin America, and uh, she was instantaneously cured of her skin disease uh, while she was praying at Father's tomb. So beautiful. We have also entered into Advent, the liturgical season leading up to Christmas and the celebration of Christ's birth. So how is your Advent going these first couple weeks? Well, I'm working at it. There's a lot of other stuff that, uh, well, holy distractions, I guess, yes. but it's all part of Advent. And right. my prayer has been to uh, open myself up to the joy that God wants me to have. Mm. I think we, we can get so busy, we forget that our Father wants us to be joyful. Uh, yeah. So uh, that's my prayer. And, and I, it's my prayer for all the people I serve uh, that uh, we'll have a renewed joy. I know it's, uh, it's very cool. The, Arch the Archdiocese has embarked on this kind of uh, tied to Advent, of course, but also tied to this Eucharistic revival. Uh, they've started with the I Am Here campaign, which has been going for a little bit now. But one thing they did specifically for Advent, which is very cool, is they sought to offer an hour of adoration at some different parish around the entire archdiocese for every single day of Advent. So um, I know that's been going on, and I know they kind of kicked off with a holy hour at the cathedral. Um, yeah, this kind of uh, reminds me of a relay race, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> we've, we've got this ma marathon of prayer and yes. uh, pass the baton. I think this is a wonderful uh, way to uh, be engaged in the uh, Eucharistic revival. I think mm. so. It's a great sign of hope as well for the Archdiocese. I think coming off of, um, I don't just personally coming off of the election and Proposal 3 passing, there seemed to be a little bit of heaviness. And I love that you have called us both to prayer and penance there. And also joining in Eucharistic adoration is just, a, it's a hopeful sign of where we're headed, I think, is the church in Detroit, even with some moments of uh, difficulty. Well, Mary, in some ways, the Eucharist, well, always the Eucharist mm. is a pledge of future glory, a pledge mm of what's to come. And so when we're in the presence of our Eucharistic Lord, especially in the celebration of the Holy Sacrifice itself, but yeah. at adoration as well, uh, we're in the presence of the future. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. we know what the future will be. Between now and then, uh, the Lord said there'd be uh, birth pangs, and yep. he, he told us it would be this way. But yeah. we, know, we, we know the outcome. 
And mm. so the Holy Eucharist is a, a pledge of future glory, as we say in the prayer. We have won. We've had some setbacks, yes. but we're, we, we win. Yes. Mm. Oh, that's such a good reminder. Yeah. I know uh, for our listeners that maybe aren't too familiar with the, the I Am Here campaign, it's a Eucharistic revival campaign, uh, specifically here in the Archdiocese of Detroit, and uh, I would say there's three wings to it. So uh, one piece is uh, simply uh, people uh, able to read testimonies of others that have had really uh, deep and profound Eucharistic encounters. So there's an opportunity through the I Am Here uh, page just to read other people's testimonies. Additionally, there's a, a opportunity if you wanted to submit your testimony, if you had a story you feel is worthy of telling, uh, which I'm, of course I'm sure you do uh, when it comes to an encounter with the Eucharistic Lord, uh, there's a spot to do that. And then the third piece is actually through the uh, Hallow app, which is an, a prayer app, incredibly popular right now, uh, but they have specific I Am Here reflections on that app. So between these three pieces, uh, the Archdiocese of Detroit, it's really kind of a cool campaign to, again, try to keep pointing towards Eucharist and Eucharistic adoration and the power that is held there. The stories are very powerful, and it's it's what uh, we're aiming at is, I mean, uh, obviously what we want people to do is... Uh, uh, embrace once more uh, the truth of the Holy Eucharist, uh, the reality of the mystery. And uh, in, for many of us, that's more accessible uh, when people uh, tell their story and witness mm -hmm. to uh, yeah. what this, the, the Eucharistic Christ and uh, what he's been and is in their lives. Uh, right. It makes it uh, more, uh, oh, it, it just creates a new dimension of uh, uh, the real, uh, the truth of it all. And I mm -hmm. think that's very helpful. And with these, these holy hours during Advent, was that chosen on purpose during this liturgical season? And if so, why, why was that this the timing of these, these adoration gatherings? Well, I think it makes sense. It's all part of, uh, uh, I mean, the Eucharist is intimately tied to uh, the feasts of the incarnation we celebrate right. in the Christmas time. Uh, you know, Emmanuel, God with us. And uh, when our Lord went to, to the Father's right hand in glory, he didn't stop being with us. He left us the Holy Eucharist as a way to be present in all the churches and all the communities uh, all over the world until the end of time. So it makes every good sense to have these holy hours in Advent. Yeah. Uh, I feel like during each uh, liturgical season, the Lord is very good to me and gives me usually um, a phrase or a word to meditate on. And in this particular Advent, I'm really sitting with the word became flesh and dwelt among us and what that means. And so uh, tied to these these holy hours, it's just, as you said, like it's it's such a reminder that we've won and, and the lengths that God has gone to for us. And Advent gives us an opportunity to really focus in on that, which I love. As we are discussing Advent, we wanted to kind of have a conversation today, both about Advent, but also one of the themes of Advent, which is pointing us towards the second coming of Christ. And we know that that's one of the kind of spiritual focuses of this liturgical season. So I wanted to dive right in into that conversation, if that's okay with you, Archbishop. Sure, um, that's fine. Awesome. So when we talk about Advent and the second coming, could you tell us a little bit about what the second coming is and how it relates in a specific way to our celebration of Advent? Well, Advent is the time of the church to prepare for the celebration of uh, the Christmas feasts. 
Actually, the liturgy uses the plural. Uh, all of the, the celebrations at Christmas, uh, the nativity, uh, the motherhood of uh, the divine motherhood of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Epiphany, the Lord's baptism. Mm -hmm. These are, it's a whole rich season of celebrations. And so we need to prepare for it mm -hmm. uh, so that we can uh, be open to the graces that are given. And it's quite uh, logical. Uh, inevitably, when one thinks about uh, the first coming in the flesh of the Messiah, that one thinks about his coming at the end of time. Mm -hmm. at the end of the age. And so Advent becomes both a preparation for the, uh, the, uh, the birthday feasts, but mm -hmm. it also becomes a reminder to prepare when, for the return of Jesus when he comes again in glory. Um, so the, these two things are intimately related to one another. And the first uh, couple of weeks of Advent are very much focused on uh, uh, the second coming the the coming in glory. I was reminded once again, kind of in some ways, how sobering those readings are in the first couple of weeks of Advent, as they lead us to really consider what, you know, what we're waiting for, what we're hoping for, the second coming of Christ, right? Yeah, and uh, you know what we celebrate in the the Nativity feast is that God kept His word. He said He mm -hmm. would do this. He he told Adam and Eve he was going to do this, and right. then he told Abraham he was going to do it. And then he, uh -huh. uh, all the prophets yeah. reminded us that that he would do it, and then he did it. Yeah. And so yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a reminder that when Jesus says he's going to come again, he'll keep that promise too. God mm -hmm. doesn't lie. And now, what's the line? I think it's in Saint Peter. Uh, he can seem to delay. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's not for him a delay. It's just being patient. But he will, he will keep his word. And you're right. Uh, the predictions for the end times, mm -hmm. uh, they can be a little intimidating. Right. But they're, they're really all, they're, they're a promise that everything will be sifted and made right. Archbishop, you already kind of started going into it a little bit. But, you know, uh, the, what are some of the scriptural and theological bases for the belief that that Christ will come again, like a second coming, rather than just an end of the world or something like that. You know, why is it that we as Catholics and Christians really believe in a second coming of Christ? Well, Jesus taught us this. It, it's very clear in, in the sacred scripture that he witnesses to this. And uh, himself, in all the gospel accounts, portray our Lord promising to come again, predicting that he would. Uh, you know, you think about that most solemn hour of his own trial in the Sanhedrin when he says to the high priest, you will see the Son of Man coming on clouds of glory. Uh, and uh, it's in the epistles. Uh, it's part of the apostolic preaching. It, it's in our creed. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And it's, uh, it's the fulfillment of uh, his glorification. Uh, St. Paul puts it this way, uh, Jesus is the firstborn of the new creation, the renewed creation, the world the way God intended it to be until uh, uh, before Adam and Eve uh, wounded it by their sin, by the originating sin. And uh, he's come as the new, the founder of a new human race, and that will be consummated at the end of time, at the end of the age. And uh, he will judge the living and the dead and make everything right. I think like most people, I, I, 
I'm kind of split when I consider and pray with the second coming of Christ. One, it's like you understand this triumphant coming of our Lord, right? To claim uh, who he is and, and, our, and our faith in this dramatically beautiful way. But then also sometimes it feels a little scary. <laughs> when you read the different kind of scripture or church teaching on some of the signs that come before, it seems to be this this unknown um, path that can sometimes cause fear or anxiety. So I was wondering if you could share with us a little bit what the church envisions the second coming as, right? So um, you'll hear people say things about the end of the world and Jesus coming again, but what does the church teach um, in a concrete way about the second coming of Christ? Well, that first of all, that there's no point in trying to calculate out when exactly it will be. It could mm -hmm. happen this afternoon. It mm -hmm. could happen uh, centuries from now by our reckoning. But it will happen yeah. uh, when uh, it is appointed to for the the right time. The real point is only uh, only the Father knows the day and the and the hour, and uh, it it will be when all of the the full number of the elect is is fulfilled hmm. however many that that is in god's plan mm -hmm. uh, we don't know we know how the story ends but we don't know all the action that takes place be, that god has in mind between now and then right. and uh, what our lord invites us to do is to have confidence in him that every mm -hmm. event in history uh leads us forward to this consummation and right. uh, we're called to have confidence even in the the tragic moments that uh, this is an opportunity to trust God uh, when we're beset by suffering and by trusting in him even in the midst of suffering and uniting our suffering to the cross of Christ we advance the coming of the kingdom right. oh. it's not a utopia it's the right. kingdom of heaven Oh. So the catechism references that they, <clears throat> there will be signs preceding the second coming. In your opinion, kind of as a spiritual leader, is it even worth it to kind of consider those signs knowing that we don't know the hour or the time? Because I know sometimes it can be like, oh, is this the signs that, you know, that we're in that age? Or do you think it's just really an act of trust that the Lord will come when the time is? Mary, I, I wouldn't set it up as an either or. Okay. Uh, everything that that presents itself as a sign is a sign because we mm -hmm. are in the last days yeah. uh, now how long those days last uh, only only the lord knows mm -hmm. but uh, i read something one time i think this was uh, attributed to saint teresa of jesus teresa of avila mm -hmm. that uh, every sort of uh, cataclysm, everything that looks like one of the predicted signs mm -hmm. is part of the uh, the birth pangs of the new creation. And mm -hmm. uh, we need to appreciate that in, in our lives. Uh, so the wars, famines, uh, yeah. uh, natural disasters, God is moving us toward the new creation and to mm -hmm. uh, receive, uh, enter into these events, uh, to witness them as as birth pangs for this new age that is is being birthed being birthed in a long process but mm -hmm. being birthed and so to to trust in the lord until there's that last birth pang which we don't know when that will be
Does that make sense, Mary? It actually, that's wildly helpful to me. Full disclosure, from the time I was little, (laughs) the second coming of Christ always did cause quite a bit of anxiety for me. I don't know. I feel like I overheard my mom and her like church friends talking about it one day and it became a fear of mine. And my parents were so good to kind of talk me through that. But I sometimes do still see it as an either or. So I, I like that you referenced that all of that is we we are in the end times that's that's helpful for me i think mm. the, to to have our focus on the end times the last things helps us deal with each day i mm. saw recently one of the priests at the seminary father pullis uh, presented an article on our diocesan website about the middle coming and uh, you know in some ways every day has its end and every day is an opportunity to prepare for the coming of Christ. Right. And of course, uh, there's going to be an end of time for each of us personally mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that we ought to be more attentive to, or most yeah. attentive to, I think. Right. One of the big pieces of kind of the teaching on the second coming of Christ is the resurrection of the dead. Can you tell us a little bit about that part of this teaching? Well, it's uh, uh, our Lord himself uh, uh, taught this. It was something that uh, 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 was a common belief among many people in Israel, even at our Lord's time. Uh, We find references to it, especially in the books of Maccabees, uh, a confidence in God's fidelity to his people that he would not leave, uh, leave us in the grave to rot. Uh, that the dry bones would have flesh again. And uh, I mean, that it's a fuller interpretation of that, uh, that God is the Lord of life, not the, not, he's the God of the living, not of the dead, as Jesus himself said. So the resurrection of the dead is uh, the fulfillment of uh, the new creation of the human person, because we are not uh, uh, separated souls. Human beings are not pure spirits. We're body and soul composite. And a full human salvation, a full human happiness, is the happiness of an embodied person. And so uh, while between death and the second coming, uh, the the souls of the blessed are in the presence of God, at the uh, end of time, uh, we will be like Christ himself. Actually, the resurrection of the dead has already begun with the Blessed Virgin Mary. So we're, it's kind of like the, we're on a pause right now between uh, uh, the, the, the resurrection of all the faithful and the, and the end of time. It's begun. It began with our Lord's resurrection, our head. Uh, certainly it's one of it's his preeminent member, Our Lady. And uh, now we look forward to it for ourselves because we're human beings, we're animals, and uh, we serve God in the flesh, and it's only right that in the flesh we either be uh, rewarded or, uh, please God, it doesn't happen, but uh, we're punished in the flesh as well. What does happen, I guess, you know, like you said, we're a composite, we're body and soul as human persons. You know, so what does happen to the souls of the dead before the second coming? And you kind of already said that or alluded to it a little bit, but can you speak a little bit more into that? And um, 
I don't know. I've always just been curious too about like how time becomes a factor, you know, because we live in time, but yet right. when we're with God, you know what I mean? Like it's just an it's interesting wild. thing, right? <laughs> it hurts my head when I start to meditate on that reality of even when you just said that the Blessed Mother, right, began the resurrection of the dead. Right. Like to think about just the unfolding of God's plan outside of time and our limitations of the temporal order. It, it, it really, you can just meditate on it forever. Mm-hmm. Well, Mary, you know, outside there needs to be in scare quotes because mm-hmm. outside uh, implies inside. And right. for, in God's yeah. self, outside and inside, right. they just don't make the same same sense yeah. because yeah. outside and inside are terms for uh, uh, the, the order of creation. Right. For mm-hmm. God, it's all present at once. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. But uh, uh, wh- sorry, what, I derailed us. I'll take us back to the original <laughs> question. <laughs> I no, guess it, yeah. it's something where it it you know, like Mary said, it it's not it's not futile to think about such right. a thing. It's a way for us to be aware of the grandeur of God and the transcendence right. of God, and mm-hmm. uh, the, a proper uh, way to take hold of this sort of thought isn't to, just to be frustrated. But it's to worship, to acknowledge uh, the the greatness of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. Mm. So what happens? Uh, well, uh, after we die, you, after a person dies, he or she is immediately comes into the presence of Christ and is uh, judged. And that judgment is I mean, one way to think about it is to. Uh, imagine what happens when we're in the presence of a loved one and uh, our own identity as loved by the loved one immediately becomes clear to us. And so it, it's not that uh, somehow Jesus has to deliberate uh, or uh, there's a jury involved. Mm. We know uh, who we are in, uh, as we look on the face of Christ. And there are people who will find that uh, uh, abhorrent because in this life they abhorred the presence of Christ itself and that will be their judgment. They will recognize uh, that they have lost, uh, that, that they have made a decision to be without what is very best and yet they will continue to want to hold on to that decision. Mm. And that, that's part of the great punishment of hell. The loss, mm. of, the loss of God and acknowledging that they're responsible for the loss of God and hanging on to that mm. judgment by which they lost him. Uh, for uh, those who die uh, not in mortal sin, not alienated from God, some pass immediately to the beatific vision because there's no stain of sin in them. There's mm-hmm. nothing in their heart and mind, nothing in themselves that is uh, not Jesus, that is mm-hmm. not reflective of Jesus. Because right. really nobody can be in heaven except Jesus. Mm-hmm. Nobody right. can be in the Father's presence except Christ and those in whom Christ indwells. Uh, that's even true of the angels. Without the grace of Christ, the angels would not enjoy the face-to-face vision of God. So some are ready for that, others still, uh, it's like getting a, an, an incomplete in your course. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They've got a little bit more to do. They're on the right, right. track, yes. and this is what we mean by purgation or purgatory. 
mm. some experience. Uh, I mean, and again, sometimes people use temporal terms, but uh, that's not always helpful. But mm -hmm. some experience by which their conversion is brought to its consummation and they are fully configured uh, in the Holy Spirit to the, uh, the mind and heart of Jesus. Mm. And that's purgatory. I know we could do whole episodes on just one of those three things too, but <laughs> I know one thing that's always intrigued people too is the idea of like um, what happens to souls after the second coming, right? So somebody who has already passed away, they've gone through what you just described as the particular judgment, so they are currently in heaven, hell, or purgatory. And then there's the the second coming. So, so really what happens to souls after the second coming that's distinct or different? At the second coming... Uh... Uh, the soul is reunited to the body and becomes a, a complete human being because the soul is only a part of a human being. It's not a whole human being. Mm. Uh, and at, at the second coming, the earth the, as we know it, is there a teaching on, is, is it, does it just go away and now we're all in, you know, this new um, I think, <laughs> I think... Uh, I think the, the way the scripture speaks about it, it talks mm -hmm. about a new heaven and a new earth. Mm. And uh, St. Paul says that the earth is in uh, uh, travail, in birth pangs. Mm. So it, as, as I understand the scripture, and I think this is, co uh, this is the ordinary teaching in the magisterium of the church, mm -hmm. uh, the earth, the, all of creation is transformed. Uh, at the second coming, it, Saint Paul says, that "Right now, the the creation is groaning. Well, that groaning will will stop at right. the, uh, at the uh, at the end of time, and the mm -hmm. world will be the way God intended it to be from the very beginning." It's a pretty intense thing to pray with, <laughs> in the best way possible, and it's 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 a gift, I think, that we're invited to do that during this Advent season. Um, I know Advent, we're, we're preparing for Christmas, but again, as we're talking about, we're also preparing for the second coming. So I wanted to just talk a little bit about in what ways we should be preparing as, as the faithful. Um, first, maybe just discussing why we prepare, and we've kind of hit on it, I think, right? Um, it's a preparation for our eternal judgment, yeah? Yes, uh, and uh, it's a preparation uh, to meet Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, and to uh, come into his presence and uh, show ourselves as what kind of uh, uh, daughter, son of the father, adopted daughter, adopted son, uh, mm -hmm. have uh, I cooperated with the Holy Spirit to become. And it's a reminder uh, that our destiny lies outside of time. I think that's mm -hmm. very, very important. Yes. It, it's a kind of... Re and so our Lord says, that, I mean, this is so much a part of his preaching, be on watch. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so there isn't any hour of the day in which we should not watch for the, his action in the spirit in our lives, inviting us to uh, grow in our uh, uh, being an adopted son, an adopted daughter. Mm -hmm. That's the project of life is to become uh, uh, configured to uh, the, the, the divine son and to make him present uh, 
in my life, my work, my marriage, my priesthood, my vocation, uh, uh, in Livonia, in Ypsilanti, in Monroe, uh, because uh, the whole world should be uh, configured to Jesus and be in service to Jesus. I'll just ask this question really practically. You know, there's um, beautiful art in the church that kind of have, have has tried to portray the second coming of Christ and what that will look like, you know, um, and usually, you know, Christ descending. Do you in your own kind of personal prayer sometimes imagine or meditate on what this will actually look like? And do you think that that's a beneficial spiritual exercise to imagine Christ coming again? Oh, I think it's very good. Uh, using our imagination, the mysteries of faith become uh, more present to us mm -hmm. in that way because that's how God made us. Human beings have ma imagination. The angels don't have imagination. Yeah, they have other yeah. uh, uh, human, or they have other spiritual faculties. No, I think that's that's very good. Um, Sometimes uh, one of the ways I meditate on the second coming is the fifth uh, glorious mystery, the coronation of Our Lady as Queen of Heaven and Earth. And that mystery is obviously particularly about her glorification at the end of time, uh, but it's uh, insofar as Our Lady is an icon or a type or an image of the church, uh, every depiction of Our Lady's uh, crowning is also a depiction of the crowning of the church and the members of the church. I would say that's most typically the image I pray with when I think about the uh, uh, the end of the age. The last two um, glorious mysteries mm -hmm. uh, are always also about uh, the uh, the eschaton, the, the mm -hmm. last time, mm -hmm. because uh, the assumption is about our Lady's uh, personal resurrection and a foretelling of our own uh, resurrections mm -hmm. and her coronation is uh, also a, a promise of uh, the glory that the church and all her members will receive at the end of time. Yeah, it's interesting because there, there's such a piece of mystery uh, when we consider the second coming with our, well, I'll say when I consider the, the second coming with you know my limitations and yet it is helpful to discuss what we know that it's that it's imminent that it's already begun through our lady which i think is such a beautiful thing to meditate on um and that the the lord is going to um eventually in his time take away the birth pains that we're experiencing as a society as a culture and claim his reign in a more i don't know tangible way to us right yes and uh it's good for us to live in this in-between time because it's a, uh, it's an opportunity for us to abandon ourselves into, uh, into the Father's hands along with Jesus, yeah. and and that's that's the kingdom of heaven, mm. uh, that is the, 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 the uh, heart of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is where, uh, there is love between the Father, and His children. Mm. It's good. And where and the kingdom of heaven can be anywhere. Archbishop, thanks so much. I know I, I personally I I really I've always appreciated Advent and I feel like it's a lost season. It kinda gets it's it's fairly short and it also gets lost with Christmas and all the everything with Christmas. But I know just reflecting on those those aspects of, you know, 
Christ once came, he's coming right now in our hearts and in our minds, and then he will come again. And, and just to take us a moment to reflect with you on those, on those themes, uh, kind of, I don't know, as you were kind of saying this, um, intentional watchfulness, this uh, alertness, if you will, that we're called to in the season is just, I, I think, beautiful stuff. So thank you so much for uh, sharing about it. And I didn't know if you wanted, was there anything else you kind of wanted to share on this uh, topic or on this theme today? The best way to prepare for the coming at the end of the age is to be watchful and ready to welcome him uh, in this hour, uh, whatever might come in the next uh, period, you know, this morning, this afternoon. Mm -hmm. well, Archbishop, I, as we kind of close, I wanted to ask, of course, if you had any specific prayer intentions that we can keep in mind for you over the next uh, month. Well, uh, I think uh, let's join with our Holy Father in continuing to pray ardently for an end to the hostilities in Ukraine for the end of mm. that war. I think that's very, very important. I'm sure the Holy Father would want us to be with him in prayer. Absolutely. We'll do that. And Archbishop, if you wouldn't mind closing us with a prayer and blessing, that'd be great. Lord God, you have poured out upon us the spirit of your Son, Jesus Christ, the spirit of daughters and sons, so that we abandon ourselves completely into your hands and into your plan for us and our your world in which uh, we share. We ask that in these days of Advent, in our celebration of the Nativity Feast, uh, we will give you glory and we will find joy. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. May Almighty God bless all of you and give you a Merry Christmas. Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like I Am Here, a new podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find it on your favorite podcast app.